0: Hey everyone, appreciate you tuning in. In this episode, Ben and I are going to be talking about calling whitetails. In recent years, we've been experimenting a ton with different calling tactics in a variety of situations. And in this conversation, we're going to dive into that and talk about the specifics of what we're doing to try to paint a picture to convince the deer to come in and check us out. There's pretty much an endless list of situations in which calling could work and we're just trying to cover some of the situations where calling did work for us. So if you listen to the podcast often, you've probably heard me talk about the Go Wild app. It's an app where you can share your hunting stories without being censored, you can share gear, and earn rewards to buy new gear but one of the other cool things is finding serious strategy advice. So if you like the hunting public podcast, you probably like hunting strategy talk. So check out the go wild app and check out the feature called pursuits. You can deep dive into hunting topics and there's a ton of content to learn from. You can see top questions from other members, such as clay, who asked what are the pros and cons of saddle hunting and what saddle do you recommend when you're on that pursuits feature, you can see all the answers and you can also pitch in and give them your answer as well. It's pretty cool. Cause it's kind of like being at hunting camp, just sharing experiences and stories. And that's something that we love at THP. The app's free. You can find it in the app store or click the link in the description of this podcast. Or if you just want to punch it in, you can type in downloadgowild.com to get started. All right, guys, let's talk Colin white tails with Ben. Yeah, squeaky trees and little breeze. <laughs>
1: oh man, that's
0: awesome. Well, we're podcasting. We're sitting out here in the Elk Woods and we decided to pack a camp in today. When we were talking about doing it, we were like, well we could just do a podcast while we're out there. Yeah. It's our first video podcast from the field. So hopefully the other noises don't distract y'all but last night we were driving and we were talking about calling, we were like, man, covered a lot of good ground, but it was dark, and we have done the driving podcast before, but the, uh, those planes are going to be a thing, too, just so you know. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of them flying over this area, but, um, we've done the driving podcast before, but never, uh, in the dark. I don't know how we're going to pull that off, so. Anyway, we had a conversation about calling and felt like we covered a lot of things about, like, what we want to do this season and kind of just some more aggressive calling strategy for deer specifically, but also just talking about, like, I guess what we've learned through elk and turkey hunting as well and just some adjustments, I guess, in general for that.
2: Yeah, we kind of started talking... Like elk scenarios that we had been in, you know, the past couple of weeks, and then stuff we had done the past couple of years, like how to approach those differently. And then we start, we got into a long tangent on deer. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, a lot of this might have, might work if you mm-hmm. just try to apply some similar ideas.
0: Yeah, what do you think are some of the things that I guess are you're most excited about trying this year? And I guess some adjustments that. For deer, you mean? Yeah, for deer.
2: Um, I think trying to be like a more realistic, trying to think more consciously about what animal you're being as you move throughout like a bedding area Mm -hmm. or like you're working across a hillside, you know, trying to walk more like a deer, snap a twig every now and then, brush up against something, just try to be like a realistic, you know, deer moving across the hill. And then we, you know, we talked about too, like trying to sound like a doe. If it's the rut, you know, it might just get be enough to get a buck up to come yeah. check it out rather than coming in, <laughs> smashing stuff, yeah. trying to get him pissed off.
0: I kind of already <laughs> forgot about the dough thing. <laughs> we were talking about just going through bedding areas and using a doe bleat. I know we've got comments and stuff before, like, why don't you guys use doe bleeds? And it's just simply, like, you know, I've never really had one. Um, the, the old can call, I was turned off by that when I was younger because when we were hunting public land like in college days, I remember my <laughs> buddy Brad had one we'd always make fun of Brad because he'd always have his can call and the only thing that I didn't like about that is it was just the same sound over and over again, so yeah. it was like, it didn't matter if it was Brad doing it or the other guy down the ridge doing it, it was always going to be the same sound and on public land, I think that we just kind of started feeling like you know just kind of, got had a throw something different at them, but I know Woodhaven makes the uh, doe bleat calls, and we have some, I just have never really put them to use, so I might try practicing with that a little bit this season, Mm -hmm. because then. Start
2: listening to some, I mean, I'm sure they have some clips of audio. mm -hmm. I I mean, I feel like every time I've heard it, it's been pretty soft,
0: Mm -hmm. but. But at the same time, I think like fawns and stuff will rip them pretty loud Mm. just like doe family groups in general at times will do it but I mean if you think about a buck in a rut bed looking for cruising does or listening for or not cruising does but traveling does it might just be enough to pique his interest and get him up and come looking at you where on the other hand if he's bedded middle of the day and he hears another buck grunting and scraping his way towards him if he's not a super dominant buck he may not come into that. But I do believe if he has a doe, he's pretty highly likely to come into something like that. Mm
2: -hmm. Or at least make noise to tip you off to where he is. Mm -hmm. That's something else we talked about too, is like making a call and then going completely silent and just taking in every sound you hear. Because it might be like a very subtle like snap or just like a brush of leaves. You know, like antlers hitting a branch. Because
0: he's standing up out of his bed or something.
2: Yeah, it's just something to indicate okay, there's a deer there. Let's just play this smart instead of run them over.
0: Yeah. It's one of those things, it's you can try it so many times in a row and, and it's just like turkey and elk hunting too when you're calling a lot. It's like there's tons of times you make calls and nothing happens, but in the right situation and if you're super focused every time you do it, you're thinking of like, okay, I'm going to set up you know, hopefully they're not going to get down to me too easily here and hear my shots and you're really focusing on planning it out and then you also brought up patience yesterday they're like just wanting to go into a setup and make a calling sequence and just give it 20 or 30 minutes versus giving it five minutes and feeling like you're kind of just half assing it and being like alright on to the next mm-hmm. instead it's like get in there make the sequence and just really I guess give it the time it deserves. Cause sometimes I do believe that there's time where, you know, situations where a buck will hear that and I'll be like, I'll start to aggravate him just enough. where he's like, I gotta go check that out. Mm-hmm. And if you, you know, give it the time, you know, you might get some more opportunities because, because of that.
2: Yeah, I think it's like, I see some of the past times I've gone through and tried calling. It's like, I move a lot, make a lot of calls maybe run into something but i feel like all too often like i'm just trying to get more reps in calling Mm -hmm. but not really like taking the time to like make the most effective for example if i'm not going looking at the bed or you know going to a certain area calling to that bedding area or whatever and then giving it time i'm making like several calls just working into that Mm -hmm. and i often like bump a deer that's already standing up looking like because you never really
0: stop moving
2: yeah it's like why would they need to move you're just moving at
0: them (laughs) yeah exactly that's a good point it's almost like you're picking a target location yeah you're picking a setup based off the wind and everything or like like a location that you want to make your stand at
1: Mm.
0: maybe you still can grunt your way in but once you hit that point you you give it that time at that spot it's like okay right here is where I'm gonna stop and wait 20, 30 minutes because right here, I got the wind in my favor. You know, Maybe there's a ditch to your right where the wind's blowing down to where they can't cross. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I'm gonna bring him right to the head of this ditch. But I also have terrain or cover that allows me to be, you know, hidden where he can't see me just out of sight. Mm-hmm. And maybe that'll p- pique his curiosity. I think also something that we never talked about is adding a decoy to that Mm -hmm. like if you can add a decoy to that whether that be something like one of the silhouette decoys that we've been using like on our bows like the heads up or the uh ultimate predator or you got something like uh what ted and ted's dad zip made the the like full body anything like that or even if you could pack a full body decoy i mean that just becomes more challenging to be mobile but I think having decoys is a pretty sweet addition to calling setups. It mm-hmm. can also help you get away if you're not being ultra-focused, like if you're kind of not in the perfect position. If you had a decoy and that takes his attention off of you, mm-hmm. might help. I guess one thing that maybe we should clarify, too, is we're talking mobile calling setups, like hunting new areas or hunting, I think where our mind's at is like hunting... Areas where we're we're wanting to cover a lot of ground. Maybe we don't know them super well and we're trying to just figure out where the deer activity is during the rut. Mm -hmm. Or late October. Time frame into, you know, the rut, I suppose. I feel like that's kind of the time frame that we're talking about. Yeah,
2: I really like that time for calling. Mm -hmm. Like, late October into, like, first week in November. Mm
0: -hmm. I find
2: myself in a lot of evening scenarios. I'm probably just in the wrong spot. But it's like all of a sudden I'm sitting there, I'm like, uh, something should be going on. Mm-hmm. And like, I could have covered more ground, but I just took a lot of time to get into this one spot. And if I hadn't scouted it out or hadn't had past experience in there, I'm just kind of set up in a weird area, mm-hmm. wasted the night. Yep. Whereas I could have, you know, made some aggressive call, not aggressive, but made some good calling setups throughout there and then still ended up there.
1: Yeah.
2: If I needed to, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I mean, the few times that I've done calling in that time, Period. It's like something's coming to check it out. Yeah,
1: it especially a little if,
2: small buck. But yeah, you at least get animals moving around. It's kind of what we do all kinds too. Yeah, you get in and just slightly stir things and get animals on their feet earlier, and it can cause. You know, all of a sudden, these does start moving past, and then big boy comes down, and mm-hmm. you got a little fight there, maybe.
0: <laughs> yeah, you kind of create the rut. I mean, we joke yeah. about it all the time. One of my favorite like uh, calling setups was with jake back in 2018 it was when i had that series of hunts with ted and then jake and then logan mm-hmm. it was like back to back It was right before i came to hunt with you um that season
1: mm-hmm.
0: and i kept texting you and being like dude like i'm gonna have to postpone like one more day there's just like too much going on and you're like oh yeah go go get one of them but anyway and you did right? yeah yeah, yeah. and uh we were I guess the day before, I think, that we got him. Two days before? Doesn't really matter. It was somewhere right in that time frame, but we we were... moving towards where we had seen the big buck with the doe that morning. That was the one where we were canoeing up the river. Ted and I are in the canoe, and he's got a doe locked out right beside us. That was super intense, but he moved off, and... I was like, well, they didn't go that far, but Ted was going to Missouri, which he ended up shooting that really big buck at oh. on that trip. He was headed there, and he was super. It was, it's hilarious because he was super frustrated. That's maybe a behind-the-scenes thing that <laughs> I don't know that I've ever even said anything about that on the podcast. He was hot mad because he did not want to go down there. He wanted to. He wanted to be there to finish out that hunt because he was the one that went in there originally with me too. Which would have been like, I don't know, three or four days before the one where we had the one locked down uh, right beside us. Anyway, he bailed. Jake tapped in, brought me like two cookies and a <laughs> bottle of water, <laughs> maybe a meat stick or something, Scott's meat stick. And uh, ended up moving up there kind of towards where we assumed they were. And in our setup... We made a scraping sound to get a little clear spot in the leaves where we weren't just, like, sitting on crunchy leaves. And then we just started kind of, like, shaking a branch to make it sound like a buck's huffing the ground, scraping, then putting his antlers in the branches. Mm. And it was, like, immediately. The two biggest bucks that we had seen in that area up to that point are now, like, chasing a doe or, like, you know, circling each other with a doe. And it's like probably an hour and a half before dark. Yeah. Just immediately. And maybe it was just coincidence and they didn't hear any of it, but it almost seemed like that's too... Yeah. Perfect timing. Almost like exactly what you said with elk. It's like you're kind of creating that... Uh,
2: you're stirring things up. Yeah, like
0: stirring you. things up, getting energy into the whole herd.
2: Yeah. Pretty sweet. Because I, like, I feel like there are similarities. To, you have... larger herd with elk but there are similarities to like a rutting buck i mean if you got a lockdown Mm -hmm. buck and doe you've got satellite bucks hanging out around Mm -hmm. and you've got you know obviously some other doe groups around and you can just start the havoc or you can wait for it to happen maybe by dark especially on those days where it's like 70 and yeah stuff's not you know deer aren't exactly moving like they would when it's 50 degrees
0: yeah, and I think if you're, if you're hitting a point where maybe your previous strategy throughout the rut has been, you know, within the season has just been like set up, and you're not seeing much, and you feel like maybe the bucks are locked down with those. To me, that's the perfect time to be applying the calling strategy, the mobile calling strategy, mm-hmm. because. There's no easier buck in the world, in my opinion, to call in than one that's locked down with a doe, especially if you get inside that bubble with him. And a lot of times you can use things like a visual to your advantage is, is the best thing. If they go into a thick patch, like what happened to Jake last year,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and Jake and Hayden, they moved into that thicket and just like called immediately if that buck was coming right towards him. He was fired up. Yeah. And in these situations, I think, like what we were talking about last night, too, is visualizing the picture that you're trying to paint. So whether you're trying to be the doe, or you're trying to be the buck, whatever it is, like think about times where you've watched a video, or you've watched and observed in real life a buck being a rutted up, fired up buck. You know, there's very specific movements that they make when they're doing, you know, the action of a scrape, or a rub, or... Uh, even just cruising through the woods, whatever it may be, if you study that movement and you try to mimic it yourself, I think it just bumps up your odds a lot to, to them feeling like, yeah,
2: well, there's somebody else here. Yeah. I think something you mentioned last night that makes sense for like a buck's movement, maybe even more than a doe, is like they move and then they'll stop and kind of survey, mm-hmm. listen, smell. And it's like if you're not, if you're just moving a lot, and not exactly taking that time to stop. For one, you're not gonna hear other deer moving, but also you're not gonna sound maybe as realistic. Mm -hmm. If you're just, you know, calling, moving, calling, moving.
0: Just give it a time to stand there. Have you ever heard Doug talk about how a big buck, Doug being my dad, oh, big buck, he'll just stand there and he won't move. He'll just stand there and stare for 10 minutes straight. It's just like, yeah, I mean, he's said that my whole life, so like, I always think about that when, you know, you, you, you're you trying to be that buck too, it's like, especially if it's calm conditions, I visualize this, it's like the buck works into a scrape, he stands there, he gets to it, and he stands there, because he knows that if there's other deer around, bedded around it, or at least this, these are all my theories, I guess. That could just be totally made I mean I am making things up, but <laughs> this is what I think is is kind of what is going through his head. It's like, well, everybody knows this scrape is here. And if please go away.
1: <laughs> government.
0: <laughs> just, just another government drone flying over top of us. <laughs> so so he moves into the scrape. gets to it and he I think that he assumes if there's other deer around they all know that scrapes there and if he walks to it and makes this big scene like and then he stops and he listens because he's like who heard that is anybody moving towards me and then put his antlers in the tree and Thrash them around once. And a lot of times, again, if you watch them do this, they'll stop and they'll listen. And it's like, Did anybody hear that? Is anybody coming? It's almost like they're just making a big presentation for their deer.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think one thing that is important is you match that action. When you're making the call yourself but also as you're making the calls using that to hear yourself because for example if he's doing it for a reason to hear if anybody else is coming to him it's like you should should probably do the same because it's like if you're making a scrape well you know beer stand there like kicking leaves and then pause and then thrash a tree and then pause after the, you know, first or second, third action, all of a sudden you might hear, shh, shh, shh. and then it's like, okay, now I, need, now I need to get ready. But if you're really, really focused on continuing the call, like you're, we've been calling it intervals. Mm-hmm. It's like calling in intervals or intermittent, I guess, mm-hmm. where it's like you call a little bit and then you listen. And, and more specifically, even just the ground noise associated with calling. Give it a minute. And be ready. And then if you hear something, if you need to make a little micro adjustment in your setup, like get turned before, you know, he gets inside of you, then you can do that. But if you're constantly moving, then you don't have the opportunity to. A failed hunt of mine where I the bow was, the, was the bow behind me, where I rattled and I was so focused on making that sound realistic. And I never stopped doing it, and all of a sudden, the buck's at point blank. My bow's behind me. And had I just stopped and listened yeah. somewhere along the lines, I would have heard him coming for sure. Those leads were so crunchy that day that you'd have been able to hear him. I from, mean, you did hear him below on the mm-hmm. bench below you when you called him, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's just like, wasn't wasn't practicing that at that time. But that you know, it's experiencing experiences like that that make you learn, like, hey. You got to give it a second and listen because if not, all of a sudden he might be on you and you're not ready. Yeah. And it might be even as simple as like, you got your bow in your hand and you're ready. But if you're reaching up in the branch and you're shaking a branch around and you're like focused on what you're doing here, you're maybe even looking here, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you turn around and you standing in your shooting lane looking towards you and you've just been moving, it's like you're going to have a hard time getting back to your bow. So it's like, you know, shake a branch, be Mimicking that sound of his antlers in the tree and then, and then stop and listen. You attached, maybe even to your string and you're just watching, listening. And I think, especially in those calm conditions, that can be just as much used to your advantage as anything. So like, if you've got calm conditions, calling I think is a great time to do that. Mm-hmm. Tell that story that you told last night, and I know you've told it to me several times, about when you called the buck in yeah. uh, by coming down the hillside aggressively.
2: This was like a couple of years ago. I had maybe a maybe half hour to hunt, like not much time, kind of like tonight when mm-hmm. we went out and elk. Kind It's like I could go in, it was broke home. Crunchy, you know, leaves were dropping late October. It was like I could call, you know could sneak in there and try to make a set on some dry ridge top but realistically i'm not going to make it that far in or i could just try something crazy and just get in there and make a ruckus Mm -hmm. let the woods calm down and get ready so i just like i had probably a mile to get in and i just got like the first half mile i just booked it and then i just literally sprinted through the woods and just was like just trying to sound like two deer and i would stop like, and then, like, a doe was, like, starting to move, and then I'd be, like, uh-huh. and I'd throw a couple grunts in there. And I had, I had a like, a thermal hub in mind where I was trying to get to. Where
0: multiple ridges came together?
2: Yeah. Oh, no I had Keith and I had hunted the ridge basically across from me. mm mm-hmm. And we, like, walked past it, hunted a d- whole different area, and then on the way out, we saw a fresh sign indicating that there was probably a buck hanging out on that point. Yeah. So, basically, my goal was to get in and try to call to that bed. Mm-hmm and like
1: what and, date
0: was this uh,
2: October 20th or something
0: okay so it's so getting like, later into October
2: yeah and the leaves were on still so I was like I know I can do this safely I'm gonna make a hell of a ruckus <laughs> but that's like the point right a yeah. calm night and so I just kept you know getting down there and I thought I had a couple setups where I was like ah maybe this would work but then I'm like no I need to be in that hub because like that's if he's coming from that bed he's going to have to cross there it's mm-hmm. real ditchy <laughs> I mean, it's like super deep cut ravines and like cliff faces to where it's like he has to come through this spot. So anyways, I get down right to where I can see that hub, probably 50, 60 yards below me. And there was like the perfect beach right there that already had an old scrape under it. And I you know, slowed down and I'd already kind of like started to really slow things down as I got down to there. And then mm-hmm. I you know, thrashed the branch.
0: You, made a scrape. You got your antlers down up in there.
2: Yeah, I put my <laughs> the antlers on my head.
0: Yeah. Great strategy you can use is you can tie that string that's between your antlers under your chin, <laughs> almost like a chin strap, and just get it. No,
2: yeah, just... basically whenever the leaves are on, I'm always just wearing antlers on my head, <laughs> <laughs> like even in the gun season. <laughs>
0: yeah, joking, don't do that. Don't
2: do it. <laughs> uh, so I got down there, made a, made a scrape, and then I think this is where this is where I definitely would have changed things. I made the scrape and I remember like pretty quickly after here and like shh, something stirred right up where that bed was. And I was like, Oh, this might work. Mm-hmm. And instead of like getting to that, where I could shoot that hub, I kind of just froze in spot and like where I was. And I was like, I need to be a little bit off of where I just made that scrape. So I like slowly backed off where like, I don't think you he could have heard me walking
1: mm-hmm.
2: again, super calm. And I don't know, maybe five minutes later, it was just like, Mm come right down the point i was like oh this is he's gonna he's definitely coming in like whether or not i get a shot we'll see and it was like i mean right at the edge of shooting light Mm -hmm. and what really hap like i think what happened is like the thermals were pulling right towards that hub he got down in there it sounded like he stopped for a second and then it was just like i heard him i was kind of facing like at where he was bedded and then he was coming down like this and I was ready to shoot him like coming up the nose, but I think he like skirted a little bit like this. And then my wind was just dropping downhill and you know, I never actually, I don't think I ever actually saw him until he ran. I just saw it caught a flash, but it was just like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, that was probably a decent one. Yeah, Oops. But uh, yeah, so in hindsight, had I made the call, give myself a little more time to,
1: yeah.
2: you know, make the call, and I think even before or as I'm making that scrape, I should have planned a route. Honestly what I thought of later is like the last point goes down to that hub. I should have made the call, tried to back off this side, get in that mm-hmm. ditch, get to the hub. Because what I did what I didn't want to happen was like hear him make this have him hear me make the scrape and then he, him hear me like walk down there and then him come down to the bench and just be sitting there looking. Right,
0: looking like I, right at the low ground. Yeah,
2: I wanted to have him have to come through that hub to get up too. That's yeah,
0: you nice. wanted to draw him through the hub to get to the ridge where you made the scrape, which was ultimately gonna bring him past you if you were in your setup at the bottom, but he, you don't want him to know you're down there. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty. And that's, basically,
2: like, if you're down there, that's gonna be the safest wind.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, yeah, I definitely wanna try some more of that stuff again, because that, like, that. It's like, you get a lot of calm evenings like that. And it's like, it's tough to get into a spot. And for me, honestly, it's like tough for me to just trust a spot sometimes. Oh, yeah. It's like if I have a whole hollow, there's like three different points that I think that points or bowls, benches, whatever, that I think that one could be betted on. Maybe a couple different ones could be betted on. It's like, why not just try to like make that scene you're talking about Mm -hmm. and then sit the last 20 minutes 30 minutes yeah hopefully let something come through Mm -hmm. i think there was another scenario like i think that same season that mike and i did first week in november and what we did was we had so we had two guys and we were he was just moving ahead and i like we were on like a low bench south facing slope and we were trying to call to this bed that we had either scouted or like figured that there was a buck on edge of a clear cut north facing slope, super steep slope a bench there. We're like, that's probably a place a buck's hanging out, and so we're on the bench across from it, and still enough canopy to where you can't quite see across. Mm-hmm. So he was just moving out ahead, and then I would just, mm-hmm. and I would just kind of follow, like I was just a buck trailing a doe. And then we got, I think we got to a point where we we're like right across from it, and I heard, like we had stopped and heard just that, like just like something standing up, and I'm like, you got it. So like. He got down in the ditch, cause I had just had that encounter. And I was like, I'm just gonna make ground noise here. You get down to that ditch and try to shoot him. So it ended up being like a four point or six point, but that freaking, you know, terrain was like this. So I'm like 90 yards from the thing, but I'm across this from uh, yeah. And I remember just like making ground noise and I'm like, oh God, I can see him. <laughs> and like, he can't quite figure out what I am, but I'll, you know, I just keep patting the leaves like this and I just watched him come in, and in, I'm like, "Mike, he's got to be able to shoot him now." But it was there was such enough of a bluff there, I, I should have had him just cheat get up on up the, the floor other side, just a little bit, so where he could like at least pull a shot. I mean, he the buck came to bow range; it was not a huge thing
0: mm-hmm.
2: by any means, but it was like a freaking cool encounter. Yeah,
0: it's fun to get that experience.
2: And like, had we not stopped, mm-hmm. we'd never you know we would have blown right by, and that buck would have just been like. Well, that was weird. Those dudes are just being <laughs> real weird out here. It looks like everybody else is just walking and sitting there.
1: Yeah. Sitting a set,
2: and then these two weirdos come running through the woods. But it was, like, it was, like, hot first week of November. It was super fun. And then later that day, we busted a magnum with a doe, uh, doing the same thing, just really? running up the slope. Not a slope we thought that there'd be a buck on, but... Mm-hmm. There was. You but
0: sometimes that's not always the worst thing. It helps you get in the game sometimes. Mm-hmm. Bumping bucks isn't always the worst thing. Yeah. And that's that was something I was going to say too, is this could also be a strategy that you use if you're trying to investigate a new area. Like on your way in, like instead of just crashing your way through and just trying to pick a spot to set up, instead of doing that, just hunt your way in. Use calling sequences to set up multiple times or in potential areas that you think deer might be bedded and check the sign that's in there once you're once you're there it's almost like a calling sequence once it's over you kind of halfway think well the coast is clear now that's not always the case sometimes they don't come in and you proceed to you know go go too far and risk bumping something but at the same time if you or in a thicket, and you know they can hear that, and you never hear anything move, you never hear anything run out of there. It's like, well, now I can investigate where I want to set up if I come back here in the future, or you just learn a little bit more about it once you're there. But I think about it, just, I feel like recently I've been talking a lot about just always wanting to be more aggressive and cover more ground. And one way to do that is, and still be hunting it's just being aggressive and doing a mobile calling sequence and it just fires me up because when it works it's super fun and it's extremely intense
1: mm-hmm.
0: the the most fun one that i've had recently was that one with roy i think um we were walking down the logging road super calm i knew that there was some scrapes back on this ridge because we had found them when we were in yeah, there. We
1: about them there yeah
0: in past hunts it was just like turkey hunts Late season deer hunts, whatever we were always seeing these scrapes, and I remember knowing the conditions were extremely calm. So our strategy going in was, we're going to walk at a snail's pace and just be on the top ridge top trail and just be listening down to the you know bowls and points below us. And as we were doing that, in one of the bulls very close to these you know annual scrapes. I just hear a twig that broke a little too loud, where it's like, that can't be a squirrel. And the calm conditions likely don't have tree branches just breaking, right? Mm. Like tonight, you get a little wind, tree branch could break, but it was so calm. It's like, that just can't be the case. So anyway, we end up um, sitting down, waiting for a long time. I mean, I bet it was 20 minutes before we heard it move again. And it was just getting to that point where it's like, maybe we were dreaming, maybe it's a squirrel, maybe it's whatever. Starting to let the hunter doubt slip in a little bit. And all of a sudden, it was just like, he's on the move again. And now it's feeling like, okay, this is a buck, the way he's moving. Just that consistent walk. And he went down in front of us, across the logging road we were on, just out of sight below us jumped up on the bank to our right, started working around to our right, got up above us and we were like facing the steep bank of the hill where the old logging road cut into the hillside. He's up on the thicket. Like, I mean I remember seeing little branches moving he was that close, but just up up high enough we couldn't see his actual body or antlers. And um, when he got to the top he started working down the ridge away from us. So we got up tight to that steep bank, and when we did that, I knew we were going to make noise. And I think this is something that we're, like, I, don't know, I guess maybe this we can kind of even transition this to that, that listening thing and taking this that step further and, like, making the move. In this situation, the leaves are so crunchy. We're not going to pull off this move, even to shift your body around, really, without him hearing that. Mm-hmm. The, the conditions just are not set up for it. So, if you're going to make noise, you might as well make noise that sounds like a deer. So, I remember, like, Roy and I briefly discussing it, or or I don't remember exactly how it went down, but we had to have discussed it in some way, but we made this very controlled move. Trust me, man, hearts pounding through the roof, my brain is like soup. (laughs) I feel like it's like there's no way this isn't a nice buck, right? I mean, I've got myself convinced at this point. It's super intense, but I'm very conscious of making, like, very good, clean steps. They're not perfect. They're not dead silent. Again, I know I'm going to make some ground noise. But Roy and I both just take our time, get down and get ready. And I could tell he was stopped, and I just started scraping. And as soon as I started scraping, he started scraping. And you want to talk about it, a wild feeling. Just the fact that he responded with the same sound, the same deer sound that I'm making, being just some weird long-haired dude wearing a leafy suit <laughs> in the woods. It's like, that's pretty wild that you just tr- tricked him that bad that he's doing the same thing. And then he came in bristled up. Yeah. Never. Gr- I don't think I ever grunted to him even. I just scraped to him. Yeah. And then he came in and was just about to step out he was so close i was just following him i was planning on shooting him as soon as he got clear of the log and he didn't and he looked up and saw us and if i could change one thing i wouldn't flip to the other side of the uh i think we talk about it in that video if you want to watch it uh you can find it in the 2021 season, I believe, but I think we covered it, it as like maybe had we not flipped sides of that logging road, we'd have just had enough grass, kind of haze in front of us, and that's why we were set up there in the first place, but when we jumped across the road, we were just kind of in the wide open, and we just looked like two blobs sitting in the road, so if I could change one thing about that, it would be just stick to where you got more cover or put a little bit more emphasis on that. I thought that he would maybe just step out and just give us a split second there was a pretty uh, I don't know you call to enough turkeys and watch him do certain things enough it's like you can really anticipate where something's gonna go and I felt like I just knew that's where he would end up and I thought he would step out there and give me enough of an opportunity but I was wrong and busted us and ran away but man what an experience like that was one of the coolest damn hunts I've ever been on, dude. Like just yeah. having called in a buck by scraping alone was pretty wild. And to have trusted the sound of that twig breaking originally and not given up and not given into the hunter doubt of you, like you trusted the sign. Yeah, well and that and, too. Because it's like I remember
2: you being like, dude, every time we go out that ridge <laughs> And it's seriously, like, it's almost oh, yeah. year round. Like oh, there's yeah. just scrape there. And it's you look at it and you're like, I know that there's not like really, any bedding right there. Like they're definitely like doing some kind of move here, where they're hitting this scrape very often.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And there's all these points that go off in different directions. And you're like, I, you gotta be there in the morning to see what's going on. And like, sure enough.
0: Yeah, he was
1: around all there. You needed
2: was a confirmation, some sound.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I did that last year on a calm morning. It was like, must have been bow season. Yeah, it wasn't gun season. It was bow season. But it was like super calm frosty and i went and i was like i just want to do that basically that because i knew it was gonna be calm for like most of the morning too until the thermals start to heat the ground up and move the air a little bit but there was just uh, a like actually a legal quad <laughs> that i was on and i just used that to kind of move and it was like enough frost that i could move pretty quietly on it and i just kept creeping and creeping silently for the first you know half hour shooting light and then it, like right about when it was getting like the end of gray light you could actually the sun was actually starting to hit the ground a little bit i encountered deer i think i bumped a deer on the trail anyways all of a sudden i'm like in deer and like, i can like smell tarsal mm-hmm. i'm like all right this is
0: ben's got a damn bloodhound knows. guy can smell stuff like animals from so much further than anyone else I've ever met. It's pretty wild. We were just talking about that last night too so I figured I'd pitch that pitch that in there yeah. But It's like you can just smell them. You ever from, catch
2: a whiff of them you better just get sit, ready. Sit yeah. and look around because they're probably pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> or they just were there and you bumped them. Yeah. So like I knew and then I had heard a grunt but anyways the whole I, I think what ended up happening is like I moved in and there was enough of like a wall of down trees and stuff, and they ended up just moving off this way, and I kind of had anticipated them moving this way. I lost track of them that morning, and I didn't really... Yeah, I never some, got
0: on them, but, but there were some things that you would have done differently, right? I feel like I remember you telling me, like... Yeah,
2: I think... I think the way that I... So, like, I, I'm going up a trail like this. There's a point that goes out here, like, real gradually, and I could hear them moving around. I could hear that it was probably a buck corraling doe. It was just, like you'd hear a little walking, and then it was like, mm-hmm. and it was just like, it kind of seemed like he was just trying to like keep track of her, maybe running off some smaller bucks or something. And I'd already bumped something on the trail too. So I'm like, I don't know if, I think that was kind of keeping me a little more timid. I think I should have, I came at him like, okay, point goes like this, trails like this. I came at him like right off the trail. In hindsight, I think, I could have, like, been like, all right, here they are. I should have backed up the wall of junk to get through. Potentially, honestly, just got, like, just inside that cover and made a call. Because, mm-hmm. like, made a call or made a call and then tried to, like, move in and just keep ears on them the mm-hmm. whole morning.
0: Because, like. Just keep, keep pressing.
2: Yeah. Essentially. Because what I ended up doing is I got that thick cover in between, and I remember just like, catching a flash of them, and then they, like, went down over the hill and they like ran but it wasn't like, the wind was good it wasn't it was chasing it was just chasing and then i pursued it but then once i did like i never heard anything but they must have just bailed and then i ended up looping later in the day back through there and i saw uh, they were up like the next ridge system
1: mm-hmm.
2: and like there's a bunch of sign there i was like oh, i probably should have trusted that and, and just kept following yeah and i ended up getting into other deer on the other side of the ridge that morning kind of actually it was kind of cool too it was just small bucks and does, but thermals were coming up in east facing slope, and I just walked this rim and just would take a step every time a little bit of breeze would move. I ended up getting like, had a spike in bow range for a while, a thing bedded down in front of me. and It was like, it was just like a morning where I just anticipated, I don't know, just using the conditions, I guess. Mm-hmm. I knew it was going to be calm until the sun hit that east slope and I could slip in there and I knew the wind was always going to be consistent. and. Felt good about that morning. I just, you know, I probably should have pursued. You just and,
0: couldn't get it done. Just
2: couldn't get done. <laughs> <laughs> should have pursued the dang buck with the dough, not yeah. the
0: spikes. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think one thing that I like about that is, reading the conditions. So like, you'll often hear, and I know I've said this before, so not to sound redundant, but it's like, the best time to still hunt is calm, crunchy conditions. Or I'm sorry, that's not true. <laughs> wait, stop, <laughs> restart. <laughs> the best time to uh, still hunt is rainy, windy conditions. And I think there's some pros to that, but I also think there's a ton of cons.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There's also some cons with calm, crunchy, but there's also a lot of pros. So it's not to say that like just because it's calm and crunchy that you can't do this. It's just you have to change your pace. You have to back that pace off. The nice thing about it, uh, rainy and windy is you can fly through the woods, you can get away with a lot more but you can also use the calm crunchy conditions to your advantage and one thing that I really like what you said about this story that you just told is that you took advantage of this trail where you can be really quiet and you can listen off either side of that trail and then just make your moves accordingly. Mm. It's like planning that route based off the conditions that are gonna work really well for that style so another example would be like down in a creek bottom so if you can jump down into a creek bottom where you're gonna be walking on sand or maybe you're tiptoeing across rocks all morning but you're listening to you know deer up on the in the canary grass running around on a calm frosty morning or you're listening to the deer crash around in the the dried leaves on the hillsides above you I mean, that's a pretty sweet situation to be in, too, because that gives you a lot of info pretty quick, and then you can just adjust and play, you know, the wind and w- wind first, and then whatever else it takes the whole rest of the day. If you start that in the morning and you get on something, like in the situation that you just talked about, and you can hang with it, then you never know when things might play out. And you may keep push, you know, pushing is in, like, uh, hanging with them, like, yeah, they might go over the ridge or over to the next ridge, and you just keep keep track of them and keep hanging with them, and next thing you know, you get in that bubble and he breaks, and I think that's just, it's a fun way to hunt, and if you haven't experienced it, I think just get out and walk around and blow a grunt call, too, like, at the end of the day, that can, it, it can be that simple.
1: Mm.
0: You can be walking down, you know, logging roads and just grunting, and you never know what might happen. I think that's I mean, one time, my dad got out of his tree stand. You probably know this story. He got out of his tree stand, and he was hunting in uh, bluff country. It's like really big bluff, big rocks, like the size of a a big truck, you know. Hell, sometimes the size of a house, they're huge, bluffs. And he got down out of a tree stand, and he had heard a deer that morning, when he was in his stand, move on the hillside below him. Well, as he's sitting there putting together his stand, it was a climber so he's like you know fastening everything together, he hears something walking in the leaves.
1: Whoa! <laughs> Caught me <laughs> off guard.
0: <laughs> and uh he's listening to this deer come up and he's like well it's gotta be a buck you know and on the backside of one of these big bluffs boulders or whatever he sees the antlers coming up, and he's just like, that's it, there we, here we go, and wheeled her back, stepped out seven yards, and he shot it at the base of his tree, putting a stand together, that's so and I, I just think that examples like that are what give you the confidence to, you know, deer get pretty silly during the rut, that's why, I mean, that's why we're able to call in turkeys, it's the reason that we're able to call in elk, they're getting silly, man, so take advantage of their vulnerability at that time, and just, don't get too caught up in like well, I don't know if that's what you're into too, like getting in a setup and like predicting like I can see where people get a lot of satisfaction out of that I just don't have much confidence it's not that I don't have much confidence I think I know that the deer will do certain things, it's just like I don't have the patience to sit and wait for them to do it a lot of times and if you're like Ben and I and you want to get out there and mix things up or you're just, you know bored with what you've been doing and you want to try something different I guess that's the purpose of this is to I think in the rut, give you the confidence there's like the whole act like the activity you can
2: be so dry or so hot like you could be in four bucks dog yeah. and a doe and then the next like four ridges over there's nothing going on
0: yeah it's, it's like deer or there's especially a doe like, over there with a couple fawns just like hanging out
2: yeah and like Maybe that's different in, well it definitely is in Iowa river bottoms. So. right but you know if we're hunting I hunt a lot of hills and you know larger timber tracks it's like I don't know just finding that action I, I struggle so much with like just looking at sign for one thing because it was like a lot of last year's sign but even like fresh signs it's tough because it's like it's already been laid down it could be happening on that ridge and that's always in the back of my head I'm never fully trusting.
0: I think what I think about it in that situation, just to add on to it, is, okay, I found this scrape. It's like, when's the next time he's even coming through here? Because there's a lot of days we've set up on these super hot, smoking hot line, big scrapes, rub line that leads to this, you know, big series of scrapes. And you sit there for two or three days, you don't see anything. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've had that happen in a lot of situations, you know, a lot of places. Yeah. And and not to say that that doesn't work, and we talk about how much that works too, like you definitely want to hunt fresh sign, but in low deer density areas, when's the last time you even made that loop, so.
2: Yeah, it's like, I mean, the few cameras that I've ran out of there, it's like every four days to a week, mm-hmm. maybe, yeah, a buck, Hits that scrape. A buck. Like, not even the same one. <laughs> yeah. So, it's, like, it's great to see that that's there, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's more just a confirmation that, like, deer have gone through this mm-hmm. train feature
1: mm-hmm.
2: rather than, like, all right, I think I get, that's where I get hung up on, I guess. Mm-hmm. If I'm just trying to read the sign and hunt that on that day, unless it's, like, track, like, fresh tracks leading to Two. to where I anticipate something bad they there, hanging out, chasing does, whatever, then I don't, I, I sh- probably shouldn't trust it as much.
0: <laughs> Here's one situation that I wish I would have done something different based off reading sign and could have incorporated calling, looking back on it. So it was that same season I was with Roy and at this point we were starting to have a series of uneventful days where it was like, confidence is kinda, it's like, that was day two that first story when we called the buck in and didn't get the shot, so we are just like, oh, we're right on a baby. Like, this is going to be awesome. We're going to have an action-packed hunt. And it just was like, <laughs> terrible. And a lot of that was just because we were not trusting our instincts. We weren't going with the flow. We were just too timid is what I believe, at least. And we had this spot in mind that was good the year prior and had a, that's where the, we were going to go to where um, Keith and I were rattling and the buck came in and my bow was behind me so we were headed to that setup and we were so locked in on that that we're going through a bottom and we hit this scrape that is big fresh open like just hit today or last night or you know first thing this morning or the really early hours of morning before daylight and Big, big buck track in it, and I remember sitting there being like, "Wow, nah, you know, like hemming and hawing. I'm like, "What do I do? Just, just, should we stay?" Like, neither one of us felt that confident in it, so finally we were like, "Let's just go to the setup." Well, we start working up the ridge, and it was kind of one of the. It was kind of one of those hubs. There's a bunch of really narrow ridges that came together, but there was this one hillside that we were trying to ultimately go up and over but it had like uh, little points and bowls off of it there were kind of like two or three of them that were rolling and there were just these really nice benches and and, and bowls and fingers and there were multiple of them so a lot of terrain on this one ridge and as we're going up we stumble upon this spike that's bedded in a root wad right at the base of a, a fallen tree and we eventually watched him for a while, and I tried to just goofing around a little bit. I just tried to get close to him. Well, he eventually spooked off and ran. Well, we went up there and set up Set up, Didn't see anything but a doe. And, you know, as time went on, that, that scrape has not left my mind. Here I am, almost two years later, still talking about this damn scrape. <laughs> had an impact on me. And what I think we should have done... Because we should have got up, once we, as soon as we saw that spike, we should have been like, okay, this means something. This could be a satellite bug. Maybe it isn't, but my theory now is that it was. Mm -hmm. And he was acting kind of weird, like he should have ran sooner than what he did. By the time we saw him, we were like, I mean, 30 yards from him, and he's looking right towards us. And it wasn't until I started goofing off, like trying to get closer to him, that he even ran. But the whole time he was like looking in our direction. So it almost makes me think he didn't want to leave for some reason. Which is maybe that, you know, big boy is just around the the corner Mm -hmm. on the other bowl or whatever. The same train feature on the cross from the point or whatever. And I wish we would have just started making a calling sequence and just either acted like him or, you know, another smaller satellite buck. Mm -hmm. Just... Had, wish we would have just seen what we came up with, because instead we went and just plopped their butts in a spot that was good last year, and we didn't see—I mean—much at all. There was no fresh sign over there. And there was just a doe kind of browsing slowly around us towards dark. What what would have happened if we would have done that? You know, what if we would have went through there, Colin? I think that season I just was afraid of messing something up, and when I don't do that. When they don't hunt that way, I feel like the action's just way better. And then, and then, therefore, the opportunities just go up a lot. But that year, we were just super timid, dude. Like, wow, well, I don't know why we convinced ourselves we shouldn't just at least go investigate where that buck went. Yeah, was. especially when you have
2: so much land to run around mm-hmm. Yeah, th- yes. Like, what do you really have to lose? Oh, you know, you bump the buck in the doe. They're probably not going that far. Right. And that... There's probably three other bucks around that are wanting to try to get in on it. <laughs> it's and like the activity is not going to leave the whole piece of public.
0: Right. And, the, and, and I guess specifically, too, <sighs>
1: it's
0: like there's so many other areas that I'll look at in the off season, for example, to where we're talking before I get to all of them, we're at least two or three lifetimes away from that. You know, it's like there's literally no way I'd ever be able to hunt all the places that I look at on a map and think, well, there could be one.
1: Yeah.
0: And there's probably a decent chance there is and at least at least 20% of those spots or whatever like you're right sometimes so why not just I guess take some risks. I like taking risks. I feel like the reward ends up always being there at some point even if the risk is like well what if i well what if i bump him and then you do well okay readjust you mm-hmm. might still get him right <laughs> you know yeah. so i don't know
2: yeah i think I'd like to just do a lot more calling i mean it gets me fired up i feel like every year going from elk hunting back to deer hunting mm-hmm. it's like the scale just goes whoosh, way down and i don't know you just get a ton of reps out here and just woodsmanship and just you know being ready with the bow and everything so just makes you feel ready to go into a, and then you get back and then it's early October in Ohio and it's like
0: <laughs> we got a little bit before we, a we bit start before Yeah, <laughs> But
2: I mean, all the more reasons.
0: Yeah. yeah,
2: all the more reason to try stuff like that because like
1: mm-hmm.
2: you may you might have to get a little tighter or be a, but you also might just run into the patch where there's three bucks better than there, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you're totally in the game. <laughs> So yeah, it gets me fired up.
0: Something that I guess one, one thing that I brought up last night, but you mentioned the woods, the word "woodsmanship, and it kind of came to mind. is something you've been really good about and have helped me get better at is just seeing a fresh piece of sign like a track, and being like, "Hey, this is good." we might ought to call right now or like here soon or okay, this track's headed in this direction might get up here and call instead of just being like, Oh, there's a fresh track. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like fresh tracks good, but also that might be an indicator that, you know, your next calling setup is just right up here. Mm -hmm. And and I, I think that's cool. I know that's something that if I've learned to get better at from your observations on it for sure with elk deer, and deer, I guess. So, yeah, thanks think, for like, being the track master.
2: <laughs> 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 um, I think they're like, I think going into, yeah, take that big wood scenario. It's like something that we both love hunting mm-hmm. all times of the year, really. Um, but going in, especially with leaves on, you don't have a lot of visual opportunity. Um, I think using something like a track, a fresh rub, yeah, like even like you hear something, like knowing when to make those calling setups might have to be more of like an on-the-move rather than me like sitting at the truck and being like, here's the five spots I'm gonna go call at it today. Mm-hmm. It's like, let me take this general route. It's exactly how we all come. Mm-hmm. It's like, let's take this general route along this bench or above this bench or something, put the wind in, in, you know in your favor generally and just work through that see that kind of sign and then just know that like all right now i can anticipate that train feature might have a deer bedded on it or you know Mm -hmm. a couple deer bedded around it now's the time to call
1: i think that's that's what i'd like to
2: improve a lot on yeah rather because like then i could also just cover that whole ridge and be like i didn't see crap let's keep it
0: let's keep her moving Yeah. yeah And you're not burning a whole day just call, like hunting in an area where there's nothing fresh. or There's nothing hot in there. Yeah, and I think a good
1: place. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think a good uh, place is to pick up on that sign. Like obviously, they lay sign down on the ridge top, generally because there's a trail there. The con with that is you're going to get skylines certain scenarios. Mm-hmm. Bottom can sort of be the same thing. It's like you're really exposed to anything
1: mm-hmm.
2: that can look down at you yep. <laughs> or hear you because the sounds just trapped on there. Um, I don't know. I'd like to also like get better at that. Like how to, how to go picking up on that sign. Like today we, we just took a little side hill approach and some areas we thought elk would be bedded. We didn't end up running anything, but we did see fresh tracks in there. And mm-hmm. like eventually like just following where it looked like they would, go through we ended up on like the main side hill trail Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and i think that taking an approach like that into some of these calling deer setups would be a really good idea give yourself more than an hour though
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i also think like let's say you're going across fingers doing that if all of a sudden you cut a fresh track line going down a point or you know um just going like perpendicular to way yeah i guess perpendicular and then you kind of start to make that adjustment and follow that. Mm-hmm. I think another thing in that situation is, let's say, in, so inside of these, inside, in between my fingers, there's a bowl. It's like every time you reach the top of one of those, really going slow, listening, and maybe that's where you have your calling set up, where, let's say your your wind is going up the hill. Maybe where my fingernail is, you make your call, and then you use the backside of the ridge to go get... You know 20 yards up above that or something that way if he circles into it he's more right in your zone versus you know but if you but if you for example if you crest this little side hill ridge you drop into that bowl and then you start calling there's a dang good chance everything in that bowl's already heard you come in there and is already looking towards you or you know your wind's going to be more likely to be swirling around in those bowls so i think with that side hill approach it's like just as you start to enter into that new T- terrain feature where you can see s- some more ground. It's like, just before you hit that point, that's where you listen, call. If you're going to do it, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. That, I think that's important in that... At least listen. Approach. At least yeah, at listen. least
2: make that the point where you listen and watch
0: a little mm-hmm. bit. Give it five minutes even. Mm-hmm. Because you never know what... And that's kind of what we were doing that day when Roy and I did it. On, we were just on top, So, like, just before... So, we're taking the the ridge top out pretty dang narrow and there was you know every time there would be a finger there's a bull after it and every time we were getting to where we were just about to get skylined by that bull we'd stand there and listen because we knew with those super calm conditions there was a good chance that if deer were moving around in there we would hear them Mm -hmm. so I think that kind of just playing that, and like you said, always trying to get better at that, because there's a lot of days we do not do it right at all, I mean, I don't, <laughs> definitely don't want people to sit here and be like, well, this is, you know, I, 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 like, you guys do it, and never mess it up, it's like, well, we pretty much mess it up like 50 times every day. It's just those few, you you get the reps in and you eventually get it right at some point. Mm -hmm. It's just like any other form of hunting, like you mess up 90% of the time. Mm -hmm. If you, honestly, if you get into 90% of the time, you're messing up and having it right 10% of the time, you're doing pretty dang good, (laughs) you know, in hunting. It's like, it's a lower odds than a a good batting average. Or does that make any sense? You know what I mean? (laughs) It's like batting yeah. averages, or like low. It's a low. bad batting average. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like go. me
2: in little league. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's probably way better than I was. I oh, think I had a point .017 <laughs> was my batting average for the whole year. <laughs> like one freaking hit the whole year.
0: Hey, hey. at least I just hope you're you having fun. You gotta keep
2: swinging, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I
0: hope you were having fun. I hope you remember no, to have I was fun. Not having fun. <laughs> <You were. laughs> that's why that's
2: why it was last year
0: um, that's why you switched sports
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. oh, I think shoot. something else that
2: fires me up is going into standing corn mm-hmm. hunting, you know farm country mm-hmm. we got a couple like mom and dad's place um, yeah I don't know probably at least two to three places I can think of with standing corn this year which should be Pretty fun as long as the corn stays up. Oh yeah. But doing similar things like just getting way tighter. Mm -hmm. Picking those those fence rows or waterways in a cornfield like that and just trusting especially if you see a track.
0: And even if you don't though, it's like like in those places it's so defined where it's like that is the location that deer are gonna be hanging around. The box, especially. Right. Yeah. They're not just gonna be out in the sea. I mean they could be, but they're probably not. Just going to be out way out in the smack middle of a cornfield. They're going to be basing their movements around these little, I guess, beacons.
2: Yeah. Kind of too. It's yeah. Like they can get. I mean, they can get pretty lost in a cornfield. Mm-hmm.
0: Just but, like we can. I mean.
2: Yeah.
0: If you go out in the middle of a cornfield, close your eyes, turn around ten times, it's going to get <laughs> pretty weird for you, especially in the dark. Yeah. It's like it's going to probably be the same for deer. Honestly, they're not like. They're not that good yeah. so yeah they're using those edges and, and transition lines to follow those as well so it's like if there is that waterway there pretty dang good chance he's gonna be
2: yeah right around that something i uh, was a couple of years ago now i did corn stalking like that early season and i was just like f- for ground noise because you don't have much in the you know mud mm-hmm. as far as making ground noise but i would just take like a an ear and just like just shake it or strip it and then just like slowly kind of crunch the like you're like, eating it like you were just eating because they'll just and you and then eventually would just hear a deer out there just mm-hmm. strip the corn and like that's just those subtle little sounds to listen for
0: tell that story about uh you and keith at the one at like three yards oh my
1: God. <laughs> yeah that,
2: so okay so then we have yeah, i was sitting in a stand november 3rd or something is up in like our front woods. So it was like almost in eyesight of the house. And I remember sitting there. I did have a buck come in, a small buck came in, didn't get it, you know, didn't shoot him or whatever. And I just remember sitting there and being like, I could do this all day, but it's really freaking boring, <laughs> especially because I can see almost this entire woods. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's pro- he's probably the only buck in here right now. And so there's a corner of our field, which is now CRP, but it was corn at the time. <laughs> And then the neighbors had this little two acre patch of what was then just goldenrod and grown up briars and stuff. And like, it's just slightly the highest point with all the fields around. Fence rows come to a corner, always buck sign around there. I think the year before Keith and I had taken the, yeah, we took the truck out to like dump a carcass back there. A deer carcass back there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I remember we were like, oh, we could just do like dump it in the regular spot or we could just take the truck and just ride the beat through the cut bean field and just like see if we see anything. Mm-hmm. And We went up to that corner and jumped the buck like but it was bedded right off that fence row and that golden rod and it was just like, yeah, it really is the spot. So I think that was in our head was like, if there's a corner of that field that the bucks are in, cause they're on the camera up in that woods where I'm sitting, but they're not there in daylight. So we, anyways, we kind of picked that corner and we're like, let's work that way and see what happens. So we started working. We got in the middle of the field and just picked a row going to the end of the field. And that's, that's something I like to do if you're just trying to like avoid bumping deer. Oh buddy, oh, you love to hear it, you know? They're moving, They're moving up to the feeding area. All right, hold on, before you finish the story, son, I gotta get my dang coat on, I'm freezing my butt off. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, anyways, we were talking about the this corn stalking. Mm-hmm. So I went back at like lunch and I was like, Keith, I was like, we can go back out and hunt this front woods or we can just get in the corn and get weird and try to go towards that corner and assume that that's where the bucks were bedded. And he was just like, yeah, let's do it. So we got in the middle of the field. It's a big, long rectangular field. We got in like the one of the middle rows and just kind of like pick the trees at the end of the field to go for and like in hopes that getting in the middle of the field we don't bump deer bed on the edges. Mm-hmm. And so we just we got to about I don't know 50 yards from the end of the field, cut tracks, and then you know how like in corners the deer will just tear the corn down. So we got we started to get to the end of that field and it was just like all of a sudden like oh, well, I can shoot 30 yards out into this cornfield almost because the deer just had it so plowed down mm-hmm. and like the closer we got to that corner, the corn get, kept getting more and more plowed down and eaten and everything. Saw buck tracks, like super fresh, mm-hmm. we're like, this probably will work, <laughs> right? So we slid up to the edge and it was like, it was the, it was so fast that like, I don't even know that we had a great plan or much of a plan, but basically Keith slipped up towards that corner as close as he can get and I just, stay back on the fence row like this, wind coming generally, you know, from Keith to me. And I think I'd, I know sooner than like, grounded and looked up and Keith's just full draw. (laughs) There's this buck walking like right at me, like looking at me and I'm just like, and I so I'm just filming the buck like come and then Keith didn't shoot and he snorts and bounds back. And then there was like two other, I don't know, I think slightly smaller bucks with him. And, and then I you know, tried to call whatever, he bounded around, tried to get, he eventually got downwind to me. And I was just, <laughs> I guess what happened is like, the deer was too dang close to him. Mm-hmm. He walked out, he was already drawn, he like looked up, saw the antlers or something, true as he was coming through that. He was like two rows of corn in, and walked right by his, his arrow, but I think it was like, as he came through there was like a branch here and he couldn't get up and over it he knows the details obviously i don't remember but and it also just our inexperience of one of our first you know freaking ground calling setups like that but you know we anticipated the bed from you know past sign past
0: experiences in general
2: yeah so like especially like a home farm like that i just want to take that into this season because we have corn up and just like you and i did in the summer is like pick that spot there will be a deer in it. Oh, yeah. Like,
0: whether it's super whether slammer it's, or not, yeah. dude, I don't know. <laughs> yeah,
2: just treat it like it is. Mm-hmm. And then go in and plug a doe in the chest at 10 yards. <laughs> if, if I get the chance, like, it'd be super funny the mm-hmm. way. So, yeah, I guess I'm pumped to hunt the corn before it gets cut.
0: Yeah, dude, I'm pumped about calling setups. And to be honest, I'm pretty pumped about this ball. just bugled probably like 100 yards from us so i think we're gonna have to wrap this one up everybody hope that you guys enjoyed the sitting in the wind talking about deer calling hopefully you know this is something you guys like enough that we'll keep doing it because it's a lot of fun this is what we're doing at camp anyway we would be doing this regardless maybe a little quieter if uh we weren't filming it but you know we're doing it every night anyway a few less lights yeah definitely less lights but.
1: And with any luck, we'll be doing an elk podcast tomorrow. Yeah. Thanks for watching, guys. We'll see you on the next one.